Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Today is our seventh Sunday now of looking at heaven and hell. Honestly, I think for me it would have only taken one Sunday to come to the conclusion, hey, I think I really want to spend forever in heaven. Or likewise, I'd really like not to spend forever in hell. Uh, What we've learned is there is a forever, heaven and hell are forever, you are forever, and so we are going to spend forever in one of these two places. It would seem to me that any thinking, reasoning person would want to think on that, want to know what they could know about that and what impact they have on where that happens on, on where they spend. Listen, I think even if a person is saying, you know, I'm not even sure yet I believe in God. Or, or I, okay, I believe in a God. I'm not sure about the whole afterlife or heaven. I'm not even sure I believe in that. that that's okay. But the possibility of that exists outside your intellect. The possibility of that exists outside of your knowledge and experience. And so it would seem like, hey, just in the possibility that that's out there, I ought to know about that. Which leads to the question, can I know? Can can I know where I'm going to spend forever? And the answer to that question, good news is, yes, you can. Because God wants you to know. I think it's so important to hear God's heart on this. Uh, what he wants for you. I think sometimes we get in mind that, 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 that God's just up there to catch people. And when he's got you, man, boom, into hell you go. And, and boy, now God's got revenge. But you know, that's not actually what God says. Not either in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Old Testament passage, Ezekiel thirty three eleven. God says, as I live, declares the Lord. I take no pleasure. I find no satisfaction. There's no fulfillment for me. There's no joy for me in seeing you in hell, seeing the wicked perish. No, what I really want to see is is that you turn. That is a word we use in the New Testament. We use the word repent. I want to see you repent. I want to see you come to life. That's God's heart. God's joy is not you in hell. God's joy is you in heaven. Again, a New Testament passage, 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. What promise? The promise that he's coming back. And upon the occasion of his coming back, that will kick off a a series of events that will result in all of humanity going either into a heaven or or a hell. The Lord's not slow about that. It's important the Bible tells us that because it seems kind of slow, doesn't it? I mean, it's been 2,000 years since he last made that promise. You might wonder, hey, what's going on? Well, God says, hey, here's what's going on. I'm not slow. I'm patient. I'm patient. Why is he patient? Because I don't want anybody going to hell. 
I, I want to see people come to life. I want to see them, there's that word again, repent. Turn from the way they're going and find the life that I have for them. Man, God, God wants us to know where we're going. And, he, and he's patient. He, he wants this for you and me. That, that's good news. That's good news. But again, it now brings us back to that question. So how, how is it I, I can know? Uh, you, you know, I, I saw that Revelation 21.8 there a moment ago. Uh, real people seem to go, be going into hell. I mean, notice it said, I, hey, here's what I want, but, but what? But the day of the Lord is coming. You know, the day of the Lord is a day that sets eternity. Something else that sets eternity, that may happen before the day of the Lord is death. We've learned that in this series. On this side, we can have an impact. We can see that course change. But once we step into eternity, it's, it's set where we're going to go. And what we saw in Revelation 21 is people, real people, going into a lake of fire. Who were those people? It, it called them out. It told us who they were. The detestable. I'm not even sure what a detestable is, but I don't think I'm one of those. Do you? I'm not, I'm not a detestable. Murderers. Okay. Okay. I know I'm not that. Check that one off. Liars. Wait, what? Like, wait, so, so like how many lies does it take to be called a liar? What number would you guess? You know, there is no number in the Bible. So since we're talking about forever and we want to get this right, we probably should treat one lie. One lie and you're a liar. Well, that's really strict. Okay, well, what number do you want it to be? Because I got bad news for you. Whatever the number is, you've gone over it. What, a thousand lies? Ten thousand lies? If you haven't gone over it, I'm pretty sure you're making good progress. How about idolaters? Idolaters. You know, I'm guessing most of us don't think of ourselves as idolaters. As a matter of fact, here's a guess I would make. I'm guessing at one time or another, everybody in here said, hey, Lord, I'm sorry I lied the other day. I'm, I'm sorry. We know that's a sin. We know we do it. And we told God we're sorry. I wonder how many of us, if any, have said, hey, Lord, I'm real sorry for the idolatry that's in my life. So I don't, I don't think I've done that. Isn't that like when you carve out like an idol? You know, set it on a pedestal and you... Bow down. I've not, I don't even know how to carve. I haven't, I haven't done that. Well, think about that idol. What is that idol? It's something I'm looking to, and in my mind, in that object, is my life and well-being. In that object is my hope. In that object is my strength, my protection. In that object is my ability. And you know, folks, you and I do a lot of carving. And we put a person there. We put an idea there, an identity there. We put things there and we look to that. That's my life. That's my hope. Oh, we're very guilty of idolatry. I, I tell you one idol we've all carved out. It, we look at it every day in the mirror, right? Here, here's, I want you to think about this sentence this week. Behind every single sin is you and I bowing at the altar of self. You think it's a big sin, a little sin, people saw it, people didn't see it. It, 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 that's irrelevant. Behind every single sin is you saying, I know better, I can do what I want. I'm God. 
You just made yourself an idol. Okay, so that's just a sampling. That's not the whole list. Okay, that's more bad news. <laughs> okay, you may, you may be able to check off a lot of those. That's not all of them. And we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty guilty of what's on the list. So if I seem to be a lot like the people who are heading into the lake of fire, the people that are going to populate hell, then how is it I could know I'm going to heaven? Well, you can know because God wants you to know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, I've written these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, I'm going to give you a little secret. We just gave something away there, didn't we? The, the, the whole key, the whole crux, this dividing point between heaven and hell is what you and I are doing with the person of Jesus. But I, that, let's move beyond that for a moment, okay? We'll come back to that. Look at the next phrase. That is maybe one of my favorite phrases in the whole Bible. That you may know you have eternal life. I can, I can actually say the word, I know. I have a certainty. I have a security. Man, what a blessing. That's what God wants for me. He wants me to know the peace, the security, the certainty of being able to say, I know I have eternal life. But, okay, then how? Because, again, I look like and I do a lot of the things of the people heading into the lake of fire. You know, there was a phrase that ended that verse, that ended Revelation 21.8. It says, they're going into the lake of fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You know, I don't know that that's a phrase we use a lot. It's in the Bible a number of times. And it's one of those places where we remember that the Bible uses the word death a lot and it has nothing to do with a funeral or a heartbeat or being unconscious or being non-existent. Because we just saw the word second death. Well, that implies a first death. And probably our minds would immediately go to our funeral, right? But it's, it's not. We're all in the first death, whether you've had your own funeral or not. And if you're here, then I'm assuming you haven't been to your own funeral. I'm, I'm not going too fast, am I? Okay, so you're here, and you're very much in the first death. The first death is a statement about the, my deadness toward God. I'm very alive to sin, and I'm very dead to God. The part of me created to know God, love God, enjoy God, all of that in me has died in sin. And I, I think the biggest evidence for this, that, that this is true of every one of us, I, I pointed this out last week, the evidence for this is our precious sweet bundles of joy, our children, little babies. Do you know no baby has ever been taught to sin, but they all figure it out, don't they? Nobody's ever taught a 23-month-old to lie, but that 23-year-old 23-month-old can lie. How did that happen? That's the nature coming out. I don't have to teach the child to lie, to hit, to be selfish. No, I've got to teach him to tell the truth, to not hit, to share. The sin is our nature. We're dead to God and we are alive to sin. Dead to God, alive to sin. And this is why the Bible says, for all have sinned. All would include everybody, right? 
We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Now, I want you to focus on that last phrase. Not so much the all have sinned. I, I, I think we all get that. But we fall short of the glory of God. You know what that last phrase is? That's the measuring rod. That's the measurement. And this is where a lot of us, we, we, we kind of head down the wrong road from the very get-go. I think we're all kind of operating with the idea that God's angry. He's, he's up there blocking entrance into heaven. And I've got to be good to get in. I've, I've, I've got to be more good than bad. And how do we measure good? What, what's good enough? What does good look like? Hey, unfortunately, this happens in the Christian church. It certainly happens in other religions and the non-religious. I, I've got to be good. Well, how do I measure that? We measure it against each other, don't we? I mean, we just look around and say, I haven't done that. I mean, you know, we all talk bad about the news, but thank God for the news. Every time I watch the news, I can see somebody worse than me, right? I watch the news, I haven't done that. I'm not like them. So clearly I am. I'm good. I, I can feel good about myself. The problem is you and I are not the measurement for goodness. You and I are not being measured against each other. We're being measured against the glory of God who's never told a lie, not one single lie. He is entirely truthful. He is entirely pure. He is entirely good. He is entirely forgiving, entirely humble. He is entirely holy. That's what I fall short of. Way short of. Every day short of. You realize on my good days, I'm missing the measurement. I'm I'm falling short of that mark. And you know, folks, that's just the things I'm aware of. There's so many places you and I don't even acknowledge we're living in rebellion to God. I wouldn't even know to tell God that I'm sorry. You've heard me preach this sermon. There's 36, 37 commands in the New Testament about what we're to be and do for one another. Did you get all those covered this week? Because if you didn't, that's a sin of negligence. Lived a wonderful week, breaking 32, 34, 35 commands. I don't even know what to confess all. How in, how in the world? So now what? Okay, so I'm trying to figure out I'm going to heaven. I don't even know all of the sins I've committed. I'm dead to God. And do you know he has said, you can't fix this. And that's not God being, you know, in a bad mood. No, you can't do it. That, that's not what he, you're dead. I'm doing good stuff. Well, you're doing good stuff as a really dead person. Over and over, God has told us we can't fix the problem. It boggles my mind. I would guess over half the people sitting in a church in America today think by their act of sitting there, they're winning some favor with God. That They're getting points, credit, whatever you want to call it, for being good, for getting into heaven, even though God in his word has spoken over and over and over and said, that won't work. Let me show you. Let's let God speak here. Ephesians 2, 9. And this is not your own doing. What's not my own doing? Getting saved. Being a child of God. Being forgiven of all your sins. That's not your doing. You didn't do that. It is a gift. It's a gift of God. It, as if it's not clear yet, he goes on. Not as a result of works. 
It's not a result of you sitting in church X number of Sundays and telling the truth most of the time and tossing some, some money towards something. It's not a, you're not getting there because of the works you have done. I love this last line, so that no one would boast. The, the arrogance in us before God is phenomenal. You say, what do you mean my arrogance before God? You know, folks, if my salvation was 99% God and 1% me, do you know if I even made the slightest contribution to that 1%, I'd be looking at God going, well, your turn. I've done my part. Now, I'm, I'm sure a lot of us in here say, I've never, I've never, I've never thought like that or said anything like that. Oh, yeah, you have. Let me tell you how it sounded and what happened. You know, there's a place where God didn't show up. You just feel like, you know, God, you should have answered that prayer. You you should have protected. You should have provided. There's something there you should have done. And do you know why we use the word should? Because I'm trying. And I'm I'm not going to church. I'm trying. I'm reading my Bible. Some, you know, I prayed every day this week. You see, what I start doing is I start telling God what I did that now puts him in the position of owing me. He's now obligated to me. We do anything, the slightest thing, and we now think God owes us. That's not a healthy place to be operating from. You don't want to get into all the good that you've done and what it obligates God to do. Uh, again, Titus 3.5. Just, now I'm just throwing verses on top of each other so we do realize God didn't say this in one dark, mysterious place and didn't mean it. No, he says it again and dozens of other times. He saved us not because of works done by us. And look at that last phrase, in righteousness. Even if I'm saying, hey, I did the right thing for the right... It said in the Bible to do this. I, I, you know, I mean, I'm doing the right thing that God said to do, not just that I thought to do. No, I'm doing what God said to do. No, that's not what saved you. His mercy. His mercy is what saved you. Okay, so... Not sure where I am on all this heaven and hell thing and God thing, but I'm, I'm working through it. Has God spoken? What has he said? Well, so far what I can know for sure is I'm dead. I've committed a lot of sins. I don't even acknowledge or recognize all of the sins I've committed, and I can't fix it. I, I can't fix the problem. I'm, I'm dead. So now what am I going to do? Well, now doesn't it make sense what Jesus said to do? I hope we're connecting some dots here. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, if you're going to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. You've you've got to be born a second time. He said that to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, in kind of a moment of stupidity, said, what, do I crawl back in my mother's womb? What, What kind of sense does that make? And it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I just feel sure Jesus said, no, stupid. No, he probably didn't say that. But he did say, no, no, you, you don't. It's not a physical birth. You've had a physical birth. You're here. If you're here today, let me assure you, you've had a physical birth. Now you need a spiritual birth. You're alive physically, but you are dead spiritually. That part of you needs to be born again. That part of you needs to be born 
again. I like the fact that, that God uses this metaphor here of birth. Think about what he's saying throughout his word, the theology of, of our status, our situation, and how we get saved. And then he pulls out this idea of birth. You were physically born. What impact did you have on being born? Let me just tell you, zero. You, you were entirely dependent Upon a man and a woman, a mom and a dad getting together and making that happen. Can we just stop there? Are we all in understanding where we are? Okay, you, you had no contribution to that at all. You were entire, and even after conception, you're still entirely dependent on receiving, almost like it's a gift, receiving life and nourishment from that body. Of that woman, entirely dependent. You contribute nothing to this. And now, in that very same idea, God says you need to be born again, and you can't impact that either. You're entirely dependent upon the Father bringing that about in your life. It's His work that is going to save us. It's the Father's plan, the Son's executing the plan, and the Spirit bringing that plan to life inside of you and me. It's, it's the Father's work, which is why I can say, I know I'm going to heaven. It isn't, and again, think of our natural way of thinking. Hearing, if I was just out on the street and we met, and I said, man, I know I'm going to heaven. Doesn't that just sound a little bit arrogant? Because what you hear me saying is, I know I'm perfect. I know I'm good. I know I've checked all the boxes. I, I know I've done everything there is. How can anybody know they've done it, done it all? I'm, I, my confidence is not my resume. I'm not depending on my goodness. I'm not depending on the things I've done. My confidence is entirely in Jesus Christ. And his work is completed. So I can know. That's what God wants me. He wants me to know. Look what it says, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, by faith, I'm just receiving, I'm believing God is true and receiving his gift. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word justified is a legal term. It has the idea of standing in a court of law and I'm standing there before God with all my debt, with all my crime, with all my rebellion against everything that God is and I am declared righteous. That's what justified means. I am declared in right standing with God, declared in right standing with court. Folks, I don't even have to pay court fees on the way out. I am in the good. How did that happen? By Jesus Christ. Nothing out up there about my spirituality, my religiosity, my good work, nothing about that. My being declared right was through Jesus Christ. And can you imagine, man, when I realized that, the peace that comes from that. I no longer have to fear standing in front of God. I no longer have to fear something jumping up and getting me. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Romans 8, 1 says. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. No con. I mean, I said we don't even know all of our sins. Well, then how do I know I'm not going to be standing there before God and here comes a set of sins. I didn't, oh my gosh, I forgot all about those. Well, I didn't even know that was a sin. Oh, I haven't said I'm sorry. Can I say I'm sorry now? A person comes and rightly points out what I did to them. I don't have to fear any of that. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus because his blood is that powerful. 
because his blood did that in my life. Boy, that's a lot to understand. What, what do you mean his blood? I don't understand. Why, was, why is his blood? Was it? You know what? I'm going to tell you something. I'm not saying you should never want to understand that, but you don't need to understand it right now. All you need to know is God said that the blood did it. The blood did it. So it seems like being in Jesus is kind of important. It seems like being born again is kind of important. These are, these are synonymous terms. These are synonymous ideas. So how does that happen in my life? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When I say Jesus is Lord, boy, there's a powerful lot in that statement. I'm now saying I, I no longer believe there is no God. I now believe there is a God. And I know that that God is not Buddha. It's not nature. It's not me. That God has a name. It is Jesus Christ. I believe you are God. And since I now know that you are God, I am going to love you, obey you, worship you, enjoy you as the God that you are. That's a lot in three words, isn't it? When you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You know, the resurrection is, is the, uh, the exclamation point. It's, it's the validation stamp. Actually, there's a large work of Christ. It starts with the life he lived. We're getting ready to celebrate that here in a month, aren't we? The incarnation, the coming of Christ in this world. Then he, he lived this life, and then he died for me on a cross. I may not understand why that was. Why did that have to be? What? How did that? But he, the Bible tells me he died for me, he was buried for me, and then he rose again for me. How do I know all this worked? The resurrection. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval that this all worked and it will work for you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God will raise raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what, what do I need to do? Well, folks, it's just turning away from your way and going God's way. It's believing what he said. You know, those early in the message, the Ezekiel passage and the second Peter, they both use that idea of turning. They both use that idea of repent. It just means a U-turn is what the word literally means. So there's a way I was going. There's a way I was going where I thought I was God. I doubt any of us say that, but that's how we live. I'll decide what's right and wrong. I'll do what I want. I don't need you telling me what I do. I'm God. I'll decide what's sin. I'll decide who God is. I'll decide what will make him happy and how I'll get in. And I come to the knowledge of what God has actually spoken into my life. And I say, okay, that's wrong. I'm dead and I can't fix it. I'm going to believe what God said and I'm going to turn and go his way. What that is right there is repentance. And then I confess and I believe. The Bible called that a gift. If right now you're thinking, you know, I'm not sure I've ever done that. I'm not sure I've ever understood that. By the way, I sat in church for 17 years and would have said I believed all of that stuff before I realized, hey, I've never done that. Before all of a sudden the dots are connected. Because it's not my intellect. It's not my understanding. It's the work of the Spirit speaking into my life. And I, realize I, I, need, I want to receive this gift. I want to receive what he has done. But if you're, if you're even thinking that, that's because God's reaching out to you. You know, there's only, we've talked about this in this series. There's only one unforgivable sin. And that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart and life right now, and you mock it, you reject it, you dismiss it. You just mocked, rejected, and dismissed the one way to have all sins forgiven, the, the one way to escape that path to the lake of fire. When you, when you mock that, reject it, you, you just stayed on the default course you're on in your first death, and your physical death will set that spiritual death eternally forever in the lake of fire. Have you repented, confessed, and believed? Have you repented, confessed, and believed? You know, if right now you know in your heart that you haven't done that, I promise you, that's not your wisdom. That's the Spirit speaking to you. And I want to encourage you to respond right now to the Spirit. You say, well, shouldn't I go home first and fix this and do that and, and change that? You know, Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. You know, this is a good place where the preacher says, you know, you're not promised tomorrow. I'll do you one better than that. You're not promised this afternoon. There's not a single verse in the Bible where God promises you something about this afternoon. That's why Jesus said, today Today is the day of salvation. When the Spirit's speaking, when you're getting it, when the dots are being connected, that's when you need to respond. Boy, I want to give you a chance right now to do what the Bible says, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to say a prayer. It's a prayer much like I prayed when I did that 40 years ago, May of 1982. Man, if that's the desire of your heart, you just let my prayer become your prayer. You don't have to say the exact words. If I'm praying too fast and you can't keep up, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not reciting an incantation. It's not a magic formula. It's your heart crying out to God for salvation. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I believe what you said, that I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I believe what you said, that I'm dead and I need to be born again. I, I, I believe that you're the son of God. And as my God, you, you not only loved me, but you lived for me. You died for me. You were buried for me. And you rose again to prove and to show that I can be raised again from the death that is in me. Jesus, would you come into my heart and life? Help me. Grow in that faith. Help me love you and know you and enjoy you. Help me to obey you. Thank you, Jesus, that you would hear this prayer. Thank you for the promise that you would answer it. It's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. Amen. Now, theme, series of heaven and hell. Let me show you what just happened. Look at Colossians chapter 1 up here. He, the Father, has delivered. Delivered is past tense. When did the Father deliver? When we repent and confess and believe. Prior to that, I am a child of Satan. I am a part of the domain of darkness. That's what the Bible teaches. But when I repent and confess and believe, I am delivered 
from the domain of darkness, and I am transferred right now. That is true of me. It's true of you. I have already been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's where we say amen and thank you very much, Jesus, for doing that. And because this has already happened... I'm not one day going to heaven. It's not one day I'll be transferred there. Because it is true of me right now, then I can say, along with the Apostle Paul, along with every child of God, I can say right now, my citizenship. That's a legal idea. My citizenship is, not one day, is right now in heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. God says, hey, I want you to know. And I will right now make you a citizen of that through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hadn't God done something wonderful for us here? Isn't that something to think about and be grateful for a lot of times? Hey, listen, if, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just made that decision to come to Christ, I want to challenge you right now to take a step of faith and I want you to act on it. Jesus actually says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. There's a very American concept of religion. It's a private matter. That may be very American. It's not very biblical. God never says it's private. God never says this is just between you and him. He never says anything like that. Very American, not very biblical. He wants you to tell the world you belong to him. And I'll tell you something. That's hard. It's hard. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of situations. It just doesn't seem comfortable to do that. And I just kind of want to soft pedal that a little bit. I just kind of want to go slow and easy here. I just want to be quiet. That's me being ashamed of all that he has done for me, what he has provided for me. He says, don't be ashamed of me. You need to, and actually the word baptism means identify with, means to dip and immerse, but it also means to identify with. We're a culture very big on identity. So is God. He wants you to identify with him. And that starts in the waters of baptism. Listen, folks, it's hard out there. It's easy in here. Hey, you do that in here, and we love you, and we applaud for you, and we get excited for you. Listen, if I can't take the easy step, what step am I going to take out there? Let me just go ahead and answer that for you. You'll take no step at all. If I can't do it in the easy place, if I can't do it among the easy people, I will never Do it out there, and I will live a life ashamed of who he is and what he's done for me. Take the easy step. We've made it easy for you. Man, I did want to give you a chance to go out there and just kind of feel your way around and observe and watch and see. But take that step of faith. When our service concludes here in a moment, go out these doors right in the center. There's a desk right above it. It says next step. That's your next step with God. And I want you to go out there and tell them, hey, I, I prayed that prayer. Or I didn't pray that prayer. I've got questions about it. They'd love to answer your questions and talk with you about that. But then I want you to ask them about baptism. Baptism is that place where we identify with Jesus. Baptism doesn't save you. Look at this. I got a ring here. What does this ring mean? It means I'm married. I just took it off. Have, am I not married anymore? No, of course. I'm still married. The ring doesn't make me married. The ring is a sign that I'm married. It's a sign that I belong to someone. And that's 
exactly what baptism means. It, it doesn't make me saved. It is a sign that I belong to Jesus Christ. And we do it in here, in the easy place. That's just a baby step of getting ready to do it out there where it's not always easy, right? I got to take the baby step so I can take the bigger steps. The next step for you is to be baptized. It is to become a part of a church. We have a lot of military that go through here. We've honored them today. You know what? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm moving in three months. Join the church today. And when you move in three months, when you get to where you're going, join the church there too. It's a family. We're a part of a man. Have you heard there's like 30 commands we're supposed to be doing for one another? You can't do that distant and not apart. You do that engaged and apart of a family. So go out there today and say, hey, I need to talk about a decision I just made, a prayer I just prayed. What does it mean to get baptized? How, when, where? What does it mean to join the church? At least have the conversation, right? We'll say yes. Yeah. It'll help. And it's awesome to know you're going to heaven, isn't it? Hey, there might be some things wrong in my life this week, in my home, in my nation, in our world, but that's temporary. Eternity is set, eternity is secure, and eternity is good. As a matter of fact, God says when you get to eternity, any amount of suffering you've endured here, you won't even be able to compare it. It, it, it doesn't even measure out how much greater eternity is. Hey, whatever you're dealing with this week, just say, hey, I know this. I'm going to heaven. I'm loved that much. Gosh, it seems like that should have an impact, shouldn't it? You know, I, I, I am going to stop. I know I've been long like three weeks in a row. You know, last week, I, I've, I bet I've heard half a dozen times. I even heard it like minutes before the first service. Somebody said, you know, I've, I've been in church all my life. I've never heard that whole concept of Hades and paradise. Why is that? And by the way, if you've been in church your whole life and you've been hearing the Bible your whole life and you hear something you've never heard, I actually think you should question that because it's, it's, there shouldn't be anything new. But you know why we haven't heard of Hades and paradise? Because how many times in your life have you heard it preached on? How many times have you heard heaven preached on? How many times have you, well, hell, I can tell you right now, probably less than zero. We don't preach on that. It's uncomfortable. How many times have you heard revelation preached on? You know, folks, if you wonder kind of what the burden of my heart is, in in the time I've been here, I've done in one form or a fashion a series on revelation four different times. And, And I've done something, some combination of a series on heaven or hell a half a dozen times. And here's why. Because you're going to go out there this week and, and, and want to love Christ and live for Christ. And it's hard. you got to have the end in mind. God gave us all this information about the end because it's supposed to be quite motivating. It's supposed to be quite encouraging. It's supposed to say it's worth it. And you and I in the church have completely blocked ourselves from the end. And so all we see is the cost right in front of us. And we're not sure what comes with that. So that's why I will do a series on Revelation probably in another year or two. And I'll do a series on heaven or hell in another year or two. We've got to keep it in front of us. Amen. It's supposed to impact every decision you're going to make this week. 
Amen. All right. Hey, listen, on your way out, you should be turning these back in today. Thank you. Again, another sign of your generosity. Our church family grabbed up 1,200 of these. That's 1,200 children that are going to receive this around the world. Not only a great act of kindness and goodness, but for the missionaries who are in those areas, it really gives them a great opportunity. So uh, our, our, our shoeboxes to, to Samaritan's Purse, those are due today. If you didn't bring it with you, bring it anytime you can this week. It makes it easier for us. The sooner the better. We can take it next Sunday, but, but bring these back, as you can now imagine, for this to be in a child's hand in Argentina or Ukraine by December, it needs to leave soon, right? So, so get that turned in. By the way, uh, our, our missionaries from our church family, Todd and uh, Veronica Gallagher here with us again today, sitting over here, y'all wave. Yeah, Jeff, you're not supposed to wave. Oh, you were just pointing. The first person to wave was Jeff. You're not Todd or Veronica. So, but uh, they, they, y'all have seen these boxes come, haven't you? You've seen them arrive and what it means. And by the way, if you want to know a little bit more about that or Ukraine or what they're doing, uh, go out there and ask where, but it's up in the children's department. We're going to have a light lunch and do some Q&A with them uh, right now. So uh, I, ho- I hope you can have a few minutes, go up there and, and join us for that. Thank you guys so much for being here. I look forward to seeing you Next Sunday, we have Lord's Supper next Sunday. So come looking forward to that and prepared for that. I love you guys. Have a great week.